Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Okay. I can I can hear myself. Is it recording? Yeah. Is it? Yeah. Okay, the reason why I oh, asked... fancy. Yeah, right? Now I know what Joe Rogan talks about. Yeah. Now, a good key that we've been noticing is that because you can hear yourself, yeah. okay, a lot of people have been talking like this. Okay. okay? I don't have a problem talking loudly, I don't yeah. think. So, so I've, what I've been telling some people is go one ear like this, one ear like that, or you just got to know... Yeah. That like because of video, be expressive. Cool. Don't be afraid to yell in this thing. So so trippy. You can hear yeah. them in your ears. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. I can hear you better than I can. So hear like me literally, go like because you got to go here. Cool. There uh, you go. There you go. Yeah. Cool. So keep it that close. So trippy. Okay. Another thing is I was watching uh, like a late night talk show yeah. uh, with Stephen Colbert and this like legend CNN reporter. Fucking forget his name now. And he said the best part of an interview. Yeah. Is before you start. It's a banter. The two minutes before you start and the two minutes when you finish. So I've been telling uh, Valentina, press record as soon as people get to into the building. Love that. What'd she do today? Didn't press. We'll get there. Valentina, come on. For those, for those listening at home, <laughs> Valentina, she's learning. She's learning still. She's, she's an icon, but she's still learning the technicalities of this business. We'll get you there. Yeah. I said that Valentina is going to become a wise investor. Love it. After doing all of this. I mean, honestly, it's perfect for you because you can just hang out and learn. Learn. Hang out and learn because learning is cool. I, uh, I'm going to Vegas next week. Um, so I'm like, yeah. So I'm like brushing up on my, my poker. So I'm is watching. Is that for the conference that you're going to? No, bachelor party. 20 oh. guys in Vegas. <laughs> Holy shit, that <laughs> yeah. sounds expensive. Yeah, so we're doing a, like a house poker tournament between the 20 guys. So I've been like re-watching poker highlights. Oh, and, nice. Uh, yeah, no, nice. one of like the poker, like poker girl, like promo girls, um, she ended up competing in a tournament because she just watched so much poker being there live all the time. Ah. She ended up crushing it. Mm. So. There you go. It's Valentina's gonna be a future millionaire. I love it. You know what the key is, Valentina? It's not like I've been I've been doing this, like I've been working in finance since I was 18 years old, and not like finance, institutional, blah, 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 but retail finance. So like the amount of cases of people that I've seen yeah. come into the bank that I've worked with, I get to see their income, their job, their temperament, their how they treat the teller is a big indication of someone is like yeah. In, of someone's success, in my opinion. I love that. And so it's been thousands, like yeah. not hundreds, yeah. thousands, okay? And I've developed, like, this ability to be able to look somebody up and down and see how they treat, like, someone on the street or the taxi driver or whatever, and I know how much they're worth. I love that. That's so, like, amazing. A pretty good yeah. degree of, like, certainty, okay? Because we used to play that game all the time. Be like, yeah. oh, how much you think they're worth? Then you could literally just yeah, yeah, check. Yeah. Oh, that's a fun game. Yeah. I yeah. feel like that's something the bank doesn't want people to know publicly. No, no, that's okay. They don't care. Because they, they yeah. want us to know every single client. It's called KYC, know your client. Cool. For like anti-money laundering and like uh, making sure they're not doing drug money. So they, they would teach you when someone walks up to the bank. So you walk up, you put your card in. Three little hotkeys. I know exactly who you are, where you live, what you do for a living, how much you make, and what your last 10 transactions were. Crazy. So while you're putting in your PIN... Oh fuck! Wrong pin. Sorry. Oh, took it out too early. Yeah. By the time you're done that, I know all that about you. That's crazy. And then how you interact with me also tells me a little bit about you as well. Yeah. And think about that. I was a teller for three and a half years. So maybe fifty to one hundred and fifty people. Pro- no, probably like one hundred and fifty to five hundred people a week. I saw. Yeah. Easily. 
That's crazy. For three and a half years. Yeah. That's how the repetition is what kind of like builds that. And what I noticed, okay, is that everybody in their life has a period of time where they make a fuck ton of money. Everybody. It's going to come for you. One day you're just going to be like, what do I do with all this money? Everybody. Yeah. No, you won't. There's a difference though yeah. between being rich and wealthy. So everyone has that period of time where they make a lot of money and they're rich. The difference between the people that are rich and the people that are wealthy is that the people that when they get that period of time where they make a lot of money, they're like ready for it. They know personal finance. They don't make stupid decisions. They're emotionally intelligent. They understand like, you know, the the thing where it's like have the mushroom now, uh, not the mushroom, the marshmallow now or two marshmallows later. Yeah. They, they wait for the two marshmallows later. And those are the people that stay rich. That's the key. And that's what I hope. That's why I do this fucking podcast so that people yeah. learn a thing or two. And you're a good example of that, actually. I do my best. You are. Yeah. One of my favorite things you told me, I, I don't know, a couple of years ago, and it was always funny. You're like, the people who you least expect to have the most amount of money in their bank account don't look like they have the most. And then the people who are in overdraft are like rocking the Gucci belts and like, you know, the overly patterned, you know, Supreme t-shirt or whatever it 100%, is. 100%. <laughs> yeah. It's flex uh, money. Well, it's even funny looking at the first time you and I sat down. It wasn't even a podcast, but it was like a conversation. Yeah. yeah. Full suit. Well, that was a podcast. Yeah, it was just like a shorter version of yeah, it. Yeah. Um, but it was full suit. I was like, oh my God, like I got to dress the part. And I right. was like, this is what I wear to see clients. It's exactly, like, right? Just, We've yeah. come a long way since then. I think that yeah. was like. It's my second year in real estate. 2017? It was. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, crazy. Was that your second year? Did I mm-hmm. nail it? Yeah, 2017. Absolutely I think bang it on. Was. Yeah. And we did it at. Um, Love Child. Love Child. Yeah. Social. Yeah, yeah whatever it's called. Love Child. There oh, no, go. but what was it called? It used to be the Hoxton nightclub. Hoxton. And then. Yeah, it's called Love Child. Love Child Social, I think. And during yeah. the day, it was a co-working space. Yep. And then at nighttime, it was like a club. Yeah, And we exactly. did it there because I had a membership there. Yeah. And here we are. Five years later. Now look at the backdrop. We're oh. fancy here. Fuck. I love it. Okay, let's get going. Beauty. Hello, hello, hello. And welcome to this week's episode of What They Did Not Teach You in School. Today, we have a very special guest, someone that I've known for a long time, Cody Skripkowski. He was actually probably on my first 15 episodes of uh, the podcast, and now he's, we're going full circle right now. We're a little bit wiser. We got a three at the beginning of our age. So Crazy. That's a trip. Thanks for being on today. It's my pleasure, man. Love uh, getting to hang out with you and shoot the shit, so you're very welcome. Before I do interu- introductions, I want to take a moment for our sponsors. That actually wasn't planned to. That's hilarious. <sighs> Today's episode is sponsored by Creator Club Studios. Creator Club is a platform to connect brands with content creators so that you could scale your content creation and your marketing efforts with ease. That's Creator Club Studios. Thank you. They're the ones doing all this. Valentina right there. She works for them. She's literally going to snap my neck if I didn't do that. So (laughs) there you go. That's over. There we go. So today on the podcast, we got Cody Skripkowski. Like I said, I've known him for a long time. We actually connected by Amy. Yep. Shout out Amy. Amy connected me through a mentor of mine, uh, an accountant that I grew up and he kind of like taught me a lot. And just funny how one connection can lead to crazy. It's all about who you know. Friendship, you know? Yeah. Um, So I'm going to read Cody's bio here. Cody joined one of the largest real estate companies in the world, Keller Williams, and partnered with one of the top real estate teams in Canada in 2016. 
North Group. It was all called something else back then. At the time we were Urban Lifestyle Group. Pretty crazy. He joined yeah. North Group uh, as a sales representative, and we'll have all the to have all the resources and support of that team. That's how he got kicked off. And prior to becoming a realtor, you served at Gusto. Correct. The keg and Mamakas. You got it. All at the same time? Uh, Gusto and Mamakas was at the same time. I would do uh, Monday to Friday lunches at Gusto, Monday to Thursday nights Mamakas, and then on the weekends, uh, study for my real estate license. Hey, that's pretty sick. Those are top-tier restaurants. They're great. Yeah. Yeah, yeah they're, uh, they're still love my favorite. Shout out Gusto Ma- and Mamakas. Mamakas is, like, legit one of my favorite restaurants. It's in my top three, easy. Yeah. I was, yeah. I've been there, like, probably 15, 20 times this year. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah, they, wow. they take too much of my money. Wow. That's another conversation. Um, <laughs> so you were in like hospitality, restaurant, that kind of thing. What made you want to get into real estate? So um, it's kind of, my path is a little bit unusual, I think, for a lot of people in their sort of early to mid-20s. Um, I actually went, initially I'll kind of backtrack a little bit. I went to Carleton University at 17 at a high school, dropped out of that within like the first two months dis- you know, 17 years old, in for psychology for the sake of going because everybody was going. Um, Realized very quickly that wasn't my style, so took the rest of the year off. Um, And then I went to St. Lawrence College in Kingston, did a three-year diploma, took a year off and traveled, went back, did another diploma, which was supposed to springboard me into commerce in Toronto. Uh, I just think, oh, yeah, I need to have a university degree. So moved to Toronto to go to Ryerson, Two weeks in, I was like, oh, this is not for me at all. Uh, so I dropped out again. And at this point, I think I was 24, I want to say, something like that. Um, and I fell back on what I knew, which was hospitality. So worked a few sort of, you know, less desirable restaurant jobs. Uh, and I had a conversation with my mom. She's like, you always talked about getting into real estate when you were 15, HGTV shows and all that. Ryan really? Serhant and selling a uh, million dollar listing. And so uh, I thought, yeah, you know what? There's something more career-driven that kind of is applicable to the restaurant scene. Um, so yeah, I worked those two jobs, like I just said, and uh, got my license. And six and a half years later, here we are. Holy. Yeah. Is there a lot of carryover? Like what? Clearly, you weren't like school wasn't your thing. School, yeah. I liked college because yeah. it was more social and less reading. I'm not a big reader, which mm-hmm. I wish I was, but I've just come to realize that. The amount that. of books that I bought Cody, just yeah. collect and dust probably. Uh, yeah, can confirm hundred yeah, percent. I, I set a goal for myself every year. It's like, I'm pretty good at hitting my goals. Yeah. Uh, it's the one goal that like, it, I've just come to realize now at this point, I'm just not a reader. That's all right. Yeah. That's okay. Yeah. So, uh, that's why university wasn't for me. Yeah. And then what pulled you into like hospitality? Um, I guess that social aspect. Social. Uh, I loved the idea of being able to translate your work ethic into compensation. So work hard, get a good tip. Uh, know your product, get a good tip. So to kind of answer your question, there are a lot of transfer over skills from the service industry that relate to real estate. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're just dealing with you know a dis- different price point, obviously, and a different product, but um, bigger so, tips, bigger tips. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Cool. So um, so so you started off in real estate. That must have been a grind. I know a lot of people like they say first year is the hardest, right? Yep. So tell us a little bit about the, your journey in your first year. Yeah. So for me, I did a ton of due diligence leading up to getting my license or while I was getting my license. So I interviewed about four or five brokerages maybe. Um, and I knew for me, I wanted to partner or lean into a team that A, had really good experience uh, within the industry, um, but then also somebody who I kind of jived with. 
Um, so that's when I met Amy Youngren through Sarah Locken, who's still, you know, the, the three of us are still rocking it to, yeah. with North Group today, a little bigger since then. Um, and I, I, I joined that sort of group or the two of them because of the experience that they had, uh, the mentorship that they offered. And the first year was fun, overwhelming, exciting all at the same time. Um, yeah, it was, you know, I started in March of 2016 and then mm-hmm. the first nine months was just like hitting the ground running, learning the city because I'm from Ottawa originally. Yeah, so you had no warm market, right? Nothing. So I knew for me, I was like, I need to lean into somebody uh, or a team or a great brokerage um, because at the end of the day, like I, I honestly used to think north of Bloor was like really far <laughs> apart of Toronto. Like I was like, oh my God, they're north of Bloor. Like, holy shit, that's so far. Um, and so leaning into uh, mentorship that basically helped kind of curate where I wanted to be within the first sort of nine months. Um, and it just kind of blew up from there. So I, I got to, I'm going to ask these questions. So we're open here. I know you're pretty open about 100%. it. hundred percent. So talk to me, like how much you make in your first year yep. and what was that? Is that what you expected and how did you get there? So yeah, um, more than happy to ch- chat about it. I think it's in our, in, in our industry in real estate, it's something that's very widely talked about. Yeah. Um, sometimes in a good way, sometimes it's a little toxic. Um, my first year, so I remember sitting down in an interview with Amy thinking, okay, because I read a blog post about a real estate agent setting expectation that your first year is going to be terrible, you're not going to make any money, and it's right. going to be pretty lousy. So I went in and she asked, she's like, what's your expectation on first year income? And I thought about it and I was like, I would love to make 60K because I was just thinking, okay, that's like, fair, right? Entry level job, especially back in 2016. I was like, I want to make more than the national Canadian average. Uh, but I was like, I want to also be realistic. And she says, well, that's, that's pretty low. Thought okay, like seventy five. She's like, if you don't, if you don't think you can make uh, more than a hundred grand this year, you won't. Uh, so she's like, let's let's make it a six figure year. And I thought, okay, wow, like amazing. Kind of right. like, you know, it's it shaped my mind right off like day one. I don't even think I had my license at that point. I was like, okay, this is a six figure thing coming up. Uh, so my first year, I made one twenty five. Not bad. Not bad um, at all. So how did you do that? Because that's pretty difficult to do. Yeah. So um, leases, for sure. So my first nine months, I did, I think, just over 50 leases. Um, So for the realtors who are listening, they know that leases are not not as glamorous. uh, And they're arguably more work than if you're actually selling a property, either on the buy or the listing side. So 50 leases, um, I probably submit like 90 to 100 offers. So learn the hard way. Um, and then I think I did my first buyer deal at like the nine month mark mm-hmm. and slowly transitioned because leases lead up to that kind of thing, right? hundred percent. So was it, uh, so what, what do you think deters people from that? Cause a lot of people think, okay, 50 leases. Yeah. You probably had to submit like, what did you say it was 150? Probably like 90 to a hundred offers yeah. because I didn't know what I was like. It's not that I didn't know what I was doing. It was just, you know, you learn well, the hard lessons. They're going to accept everything as well. Right. Yeah, exactly. So that's a grind. It that's was like 10 a month that you're submitting pretty right? much. Yeah. So a lot of realtors uh, are, don't want to work that hard or they're trying to focus on other things. Like what made you do that? That's not the norm. So it was, it was kind of threefold. Number one, agents don't like to do it cause it's not sexy. Mm-hmm. We're not as sexy as selling a $3 million property. Yeah. Um, it's a lot of work for in the grand scheme of things, a small amount of payout. Yeah. Um, but for me, I was looking at, it, I was like, okay, I don't know this city. And so if I'm going to like, it was almost like the imposter syndrome at the time. I was like, I don't feel comfortable 
trying to get people to buy a you know $2 million property when I don't even know what I'm selling. Mm-hmm. Like I don't know the building, the developer, the area. So leases was a really good lens, uh, excuse me, lens into um, learning the city. And so for me- I was going to say, you probably were all over the city yeah. to, do, to do that many leases. 100%. You learned a lot probably. Yeah, and now I know almost every building, who the developer is, how old the billing is, what the amenities are, what the average price per square foot is. Mm-hmm. And so that really like- opened my eyes into the condo market, um, and then I kind of transitioned from there. Okay, what advice do you have for realtors starting off in their first year? Yeah. What would you say to them? So I'm going to look at the camera, and this is like a very intent message here. Do it. Um, so I would say there's there's three things, um, but the biggest one is kind of to what I had mentioned earlier on with North Group, Urban Lifestyle Group. Um, either find an amazing brokerage, um, find an amazing team or an amazing mentor, somebody who is going to be there to kind of walk you through the hard times of this business. Cause it is a very lonely business if you run it on your own. Um, so find those sort of three dynamics, um, whether it be a team, a, a specific sort of more senior agent or, uh, an amazing brokerage, lean into their training, lean into their systems, lean into their mentorship. Uh, because at the end of the day, you know, you don't know what you don't know. Yeah. And if you find somebody who's successful in this business, they're for the most part doing something right. So find those people um, and lean into it and be prepared to, you know, do the work, especially early. Like I didn't love doing leases, you know, especially like the six to 12 month mark. I didn't love them, but like I still six and a half years later, I'll do 10 to 12 a year because it's just good business. Yeah. 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 So love that. That that would be my advice. When I, when I first started off in consulting, it was, I remember a mentor of mine, he said, uh, you're going to, you're going to want to quit every other day. Yeah. But then eventually, uh, you'll want to quit every week, and then every month. And now I'm at like I feel like I want to quit every like quarter. Yeah, and that's okay. And yeah. you got to be like accepting of that. But the people that you have around you that when you're having that bad day, yeah. be like, stand you up, dust you off, give you a little pat on the butt, and keep you going. Hundred percent. Those are the people that are important, especially yeah. on the bad days. Could not agree more. And when I was there, it was like. My parents, they were really supportive. Like my business partner at the time, Daniel, he was really supportive. And now today, like the business partners and mentors that I have around me keep keep me going during those hard times, right? So finding a team to lean on in your first one or two years, I think that's important. Yeah, 100%. Okay, so how did you break through that plateau now? You did 50, you're heading into year two. You must have thought, okay, am I going to do another 50 leases? Or what's the game plan? How did you break through that first plateau? That is exactly what I thought. So I was sitting there being like, okay, I I can do this, you know, and, you know, I was getting better at them. So the pre-qualifying was was becoming a little bit more efficient. Yeah. Um, and I remember doing my first buyer transaction. It was a bit of a fluke. It was actually a, my roommate at the time. Uh, it was his colleague. And he's like, hey, this person's looking to buy a property. Um, and I remember, so I showed it to her um, in the afternoon. And then I worked at Mamaka's that night. And I was like in the back room taking phone calls with her being like, <laughs> this is how we're going to facilitate this transaction. Meanwhile, calling my mentor being like, what do I do? Um, and then once that first one went through, I was like, okay. And then I was almost like, I was hooked in a way. Um, and so it was a con- conscious decision. I'm like, I'm going to put a bit of a short-term hold on my income through leases because leases are quick. You can yeah. put in an offer and two weeks later, you know, your paycheck comes in when they move in. The sales cycle for a buyer is a month to three, typically. So I Sometimes was like- Sometimes longer, maybe. 100%, yeah. So I was like, okay, well, you know, this person- 
kind of shifted things for me, both, you know, monetarily, but then also sort of the convenience of not running around all this paperwork with the lease side of things. And so that conscious decision was made. I took a hit on my income for about two to three months, yeah. but I focused exclusively on buyers. Um, took some time, you know. So but how did you do that? Did you save up some money? You said you were still working at Mamakas during that time, so that probably smoothed things out. Yeah, so I did my first buyer deal, and that was my my rule with myself was once I do my first buyer deal, I'm going to leave the restaurant industry. And it was when I got paid on it, not when I actually wrote it and had it accepted. Um, and so that was kind of where where things shifted. And so I started more intently doing open houses, really leaned into the team's online lead system, um, you know, called all my tenants who were coming up to that one year mark and said, hey, you know, I know you've moved in almost almost a year ago. Um, are you planning on staying or have you considered purchasing a home? Um, and to this day, I've probably done 20 to 30, if not more, transactions with previous tenants. Huh. And, uh, you know, some of them I'm helping buy an investment property or the third property or moving up the ladder. So it's really cool to see six and a half years later the, the progression, obviously, with my own business, but then my clients who I'm watching them literally build their wealth through real estate. And it started with a $1,500 lease. I love that. Yeah. And uh, one of the things that, so I actually read Ryan Serhant's book, Sell Like Serhant. I gave you that gave to it you. to me. Yeah. 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 It was like one of the very few books I read. Mm. It's a great book. There's one chapter called like juggling multiple balls or something like yeah. that. And he, in the first sentence, he like giggles about it, like by text. He's like, yeah, yeah I get it. And the entire chapter is about juggling lots of balls. Yeah, having all the balls in the air. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I actually really like that because you can't just be relying on one deal in order to no. get you through the year, yeah. right? So talk to me a little bit about what your strategy is for having multiple balls in the air at the same time and maybe some tips that you have for upcoming realtors that find that difficult. Yeah, so something that I learned somewhat, not recently, in the last kind of two to three years is your client can smell what, what's classically known as commission breath. Right. And, you know, you go into like a, a car, car dealership, you know when a, you know, a, a sales rep there has a pretty big portfolio of clients and they're not worried about where their next deal is coming from versus, you know, you go in and somebody's like, oh, we'll give you this, or, oh, you should do this, or oh, you might not get it. It was one of those things where, like, to keep as many balls in the air as possible, I, I kind of just thought, okay, the more people I talk to, the better it's going to be. And I, to my point earlier on about still doing leases, you know, I've had clients who I, I showed up to do a lease, and then they're like, mm, we don't want to do this, and then they end up turning around and buying. So it mm. really just comes down to as many people as you talk to, honestly. That, that's kind of what this business is all about. Um, and maintaining those relationships long-term, the tenants that I talked to six years ago, Hey, how's, how are things? Hey, I know you, you know, you moved out of the city, but are you planning on coming back? Just honest, organic conversations. And it's a lot easier to have those conversations with people who you've spoken with in the past than it is just, you know, random, randomly seeing somebody on the street. A hundred percent. But I think that has to do with like that commission breath. I don't know what it is, but you could like actually smell it. You know uh, what I mean? It's crazy how and, how different it is. And it's like that, to me, it's confidence. And it's yeah. that difference between an abundance and a scarcity mindset that comes with like, like me and my, me and my cousin, we used to always say like, it's a lot easier to not have commission breath if you have 100K in, sitting in the bank account. You yeah, know? 100%. Yeah. Yeah. So, and so there's a way to have an abundance mindset or that like attitude when you actually are living in abundance. The difficult part is when you start off and you're not living in that abundance yeah. to like 
uh, artificially manufacture that abundance mindset. So how do you do that? So it was like a big fake it till you make it is, is like when your first year two, year three is typically where it starts to click. Yeah. And I've had that conversation with a lot of agents. Um, it, it's kind of a couple things. I think confidence is the biggest player. And what makes you confident, in my opinion, is knowing your product or knowing what you're selling or leasing. Um, and if you lead with confidence and you know that you can't get attached to the deal, you have to get attached to the overall result for whatever it may be, whether it's somebody waiting but maintaining that relationship yeah. or you know, landing them the perfect place on the first showing. I think it, it comes down to patience, um, but then it also just comes down to confidence. And honestly, people will respect you more when you let them feel like they're in charge, whether or not they are or not, um, versus if you're like, oh, well, what about these floors? They're amazing. Oh, look at the view. Oh, this kitchen's amazing. Oh, wow, like this, is, this isn't going to last long. People don't like that. People don't yeah. like being told what to do. So let them lead the charge and then direct the conversation. And it's not to be manipulative. It is honestly to come to an amazing result for the client. Um, and I've come to realize that purchases or sales will come together a lot quicker, a lot more efficiently if you lead that way versus that scarcity mindset. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's hard to your point to think about in the moment when you're like, oh, I really need this deal to close or else I don't know how I'm going to pay rent. Right. Yeah. But it's just this weird thing where when that shifts, they actually end up cl- like coming together quicker. Crazy how that works, right? It's backwards mentality. It's like, yeah, I've been, like I've been doing this for a long time now and that has been happening more and more and more. And I'm like, oh, where did this go in my first couple of years, yeah. right? But it's like the rich get richer. And from a mindset perspective, the rich minded people also get richer. Yeah. It's funny how that works. Yeah. Okay. Let's switch gears a bit now to the present moment. You've been doing this for how long now? Seven years? Six and a half years. years. Yeah. March will mark the end of my sixth year, start of seven. Okay. So talk to me a little bit about what you're seeing the real estate industry. How's it changed from that like first year that you started till now, both like as a realtor, but real estate in Toronto? Yeah. So uh, I'll start with the realtors side of things. Um, The big one is sort of the presence from a social media standpoint. I think you know, back in the day, and this, this is generational. So 20 years ago, it was all cold calls, door knocking, uh, maybe, you know, you adopted early to a website, but it was pretty much like the traditional style of sales. When I first got in, it was definitely that used to door knock, hated it, uh, used to cold call, hated it, used to sit open houses, hated it. And then social media kind of became a thing and like really a thing. And then video kind of took off. And then I was having conversations on my phone through an app and all of a sudden people Hmm. are like hey love that place you just posted what's the price point okay it's like are you looking to buy well yeah but this isn't the area i'm like oh well i actually service that area as well so the big (laughs) thing is like the convenience and the ease of generating leads or clients um that's been a huge shift and it's been kind of interesting to see even in the last six years I mean, we're, we're, we're kids of the, the internet era. Yeah. And, you know, now I'm talking to agents who are blowing up on TikTok and closing 30 deals a year from TikTok. So it's, it's ever-changing on the social side of things. Mm. Uh, so that's probably the biggest thing I've noticed. Um, on the actual consumer side or the market side, I mean, it goes without saying, the price points. Um, it's, it's wild to see how quickly things have, you know, jumped in, in the little six and a half years that I've been around. Um, 
and and just to see kind of the the, the shift on consumer behavior. So um, it's it's one of those things where that's remained consistent when things are crazy, everybody gravitates to it. Like we saw in the last two years and when things are slow and you should be buying, nobody jumps into it. So that stayed the same. Yeah. Um, but I would say that the big thing that I've noticed, which isn't a positive thing, uh, in my opinion is, is the pre-construction space. That's been the biggest change. Oh, that's true. Cause everything used to be pre-construction in Toronto, right? Pre-construction used to be the easiest tool to build wealth in, in real estate because everything was sold pre-construction, probably anywhere between 50 to $250 a square foot more affordable than what was currently on the real estate, uh, the resale market. And then all of a sudden in 2018, 2019, that completely shifted. It was in line and then eventually way more expensive mm. than the, the resale market. And so pre-con has changed. That's a large part due to, you know, you know, the economy, cost of labor, cost of goods, red tape from the city, red tape from the, you know, the province even. Yeah. Um, and then because of that, I've noticed quality has started to really, in my opinion, start to shift a little bit. Floor plans are smaller. Quality is not as good. Price is more expensive. Mm. Uh, they'll throw a condo next to another one. So gone are your views. So I find when you're buying pre-construction nowadays, you have to be really builder specific, very project specific. Um, and I would say put your money more into boutique projects um, and especially something that maybe you're you know prepared to live in or hold really long term because uh, right now a lot of people are getting burned on assignments, unfortunately. Uh, boutique, what do you mean by that? So smaller buildings, you know, maybe 10 stories or less, 15, uh, more reputable, uh, reputable developers. They tend to be a little bit more expensive, but you're going to get a better quality product. Uh, mm. higher end features and finishes, more functional layout, just more thoughtful development. Whereas, you know, a 75 story tower, you have probably anywhere between 75, well, 50 to 75 of the exact same floor plan. Right, right. And so in a down market, when you want to go sell that product and five or eight other people hit the market, it's a race to the bottom. Fair. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, okay. Now, another thing that I want to talk about, cause you mentioned price. Mm -hmm. Okay. And I want to caveat this conversation with, obviously, right now, everything that pe investors are talking about is inflation. Yeah. You probably feel it back at home with gas prices and the cost of just, like, doing anything in this world. Like, Chibo, like, one of my favorite restaurants in the city, Chibo. I used to go there for a plate of pasta in, like, yeah. 2015 for, like, 18 bucks. Yep. 18 bucks. Yeah. That okay. seems like a steal now. Right? Yeah. Then it was, like, 22, 23. Okay. Still, whatever. Yeah. I went there the other day, 30 bucks for my favorite plate of pasta at Chibo. Twice the Come price. on, guys. Yeah, pretty much What's twice. What's going on? What's happening? But we're also seeing it in the real estate market. And I'll say it this, okay? Since 1999, in yeah. 1999, probably a condo in Toronto was like 70K, 100K. Yeah, one or 200K maybe. Yeah, yeah. right? Uh, so since then, uh, interest rates have not gone up once. Since 1991. That's crazy. In Canada. Okay. And they've only gone down the average interest rate. Don't quote me on this, but I'm pretty sure it was 8% in 1991. Five years ago, they were like two. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Three, five years ago, they were around three, three and a half, because I bought my first condo four years go. ago and I was at 3.29. 3. So real estate prices are directly correlated with interest rates. Yeah. So if interest rates have only gone down since then, we've seen this boom. But not only that, is Toronto's turned into like... It's the it city. It's a city. Yeah. 
globally, yeah, 100%. not just in Canada. Yeah. Right. So we've seen all these real estate prices go up. What's happening right now that you're noticing? Like, obviously there's inflation, but what's causing that inflation? And why haven't we seen this like massive drop off in prices yet in real estate? Is it ever going to happen? What are your thoughts? Yeah. So, I mean, it's a bit of a loaded question because it, it the, the really hard thing about gauging what's going on in Toronto is we are such a massive city. And so the media loves to blanket statements on what's going on GTA wide. Um, without question, inflation has had a factor on, on the real estate market. Um, everything's more expensive, less disposable income, less likely people are going to want to buy real estate because that just adds to the expense sheet. Um, interest rates being as low as they were in the last two years. I, you know, I just talked to a client of mine um, last weekend. He's locked in at 1.29 for five years. Wow. So that right now you are basically looking at, if you bought a property at the beginning of the year for a million dollars at around 1.5 to 2%, it will roughly cost you the exact same amount of money now if you were to buy that property at 800K, which is crazy. Yeah. Um, down payment's different, obviously, so you're going to save some cash on that front. But generally speaking, it's apples to apples, $1 million to 800 k Yeah, yeah. So, For servicing it on an ongoing basis. Exactly. Yeah. So I think if you look at GTA-wide, uh, if you look at us like the last two years, we're still up around 20% in the last two years, pricing-wise. Um, I think the outskirts of the GTA have seen the biggest shift, but that's also because we saw the biggest shift up. Right, yeah. If you're thinking about the last two years, we saw an unsustainable amount of appreciation and just chaos. Honestly, it was it even was, the last ten years. It, correct. Yeah, and so it, it's one of those things. Eventually, it was going to correct itself. I think the urban communities of Toronto, which is typically what I service, um, have seen the least effect. Some condos are doing well. Some condos aren't. Some neighborhoods in the east end are doing well. Some aren't. So I think it really comes down to what the consumer is buying, what their sort of affordability is. Um, You know, at the end of the day, real estate is expensive. And now more than ever, people need to be really cautious with what they're buying um, because we don't know what's going to happen with interest rates. They may go up even more. We don't know. Stay tuned. I'll have you on in two years from now, all right? Let's chat. Okay. So um, in our first episode, we talked a lot and leading up till now, this whole thing about like Airbnb arbitrage or just buying Airbnb properties. Yep. I know you have an Airbnb property. I do. Um, So why don't you talk to us a little bit about what motivated you to do that, what that first Airbnb property looked like and like how's it's turned out so far? Yeah. So it actually starts four years ago when I bought my first condo. Um, I was living uh, in a rental at the time, bought a condo with the intention of keeping it as a rental property. Because I couldn't afford what I wanted to live in, but I knew as a real estate agent especially, A, I knew it was a good investment, but B, it helped me level up to practice what I preach. I love that. Yeah, because buy where you could afford, invest where you could afford, live where you want to from a lifestyle perspective. 100%. So I bought this place. It was a great place. And I bought it with the intention of worst case scenario, if all else changes, I would still feel comfortable living in it. Yeah. Fast forward five and five and a half years, four four and a half years, I'm actually currently living in that property because of the, the COVID market. Yeah. Um, so I bought it. I rented it out short term, fully furnished for three months to a colleague's friend. Covered itself beautifully. It was just a break even scenario. And then I found another tenant. Same exact th- same situation, three months. Perfect. October hit. 
tends to slow down in the rental space. Couldn't find a tenant. And I was like, shoot. And I was like, 3200 or 3100 bucks a month to carry. What am I going to do? And so I spoke with a couple of people who I knew were doing the Airbnb thing. Yeah. And I was like, hey, do you have somebody who I can talk to? Picked their brain, did some research. And I actually ended up hiring a property management to run it for me. And next thing you know, I was cash flow positive anywhere between like two and four grand a month. Not too shabby. Exactly. You recommend hiring like someone that knows what they're doing to manage it? Yeah, I, honestly, I do. So the first place that I bought, uh, I, I used a property manager, made my life so much easier. I'm a big advocate of hiring out people to do what you don't know mm-hmm. because they're the expert in their field, which is why, in my opinion, you should always hire a real estate agent to buy real estate. You should always hire somebody to manage your money, have an amazing accountant. The list goes on. Agreed. So he helped me manage things, and it was still profitable despite their, the, you know, the management fee. Um, and then this past year, I just purchased a ski chalet in Blue Mountain because the Airbnb space there is massive. Same situation. Hired a management company because at the end of the day, I don't want to drive up to Blue Mountain to fix a fridge if it breaks right, or yeah, yeah. whatever. Um, and still, with you know their fee involved, at the end of the year, it'll still be a cash flow positive investment. And I get a ski chalet to hang out with a couple times a year. So both of those things, cash flow positive, you get to like live there because no one's like living there full yep. time. But I also want to mention that one thing that people don't necessarily take into consideration is that a portion of the mortgage that you're paying yeah. goes is principal. And then the other portion is interest. It's usually roughly 50-50, but it depends on the year that you're like actually uh, in of your mortgage. Yeah. So if that person's at least covering half I mean, yep. or at least covering the full amount of your mortgage, you're making money. Exactly. It's, but it's, if you're making cash flow, yeah. now we're talking. And that's the beautiful thing about Airbnb. It's, it's really, it's threefold. You are, you know, maybe, maybe right now in certain markets, uh, you're not seeing it, but typically you have the appreciation. And I'm not saying it's overnight success all the time, but right, yeah. three to five, five to 10, chances are in the grand scheme of things, you'll come out ahead from an appreciation standpoint. Um, in the case of the, the uh, Airbnb space, cash flow, and exactly to your point, principal repayment. And so if you can make the down payment happen, furnish it accordingly, find an amazing management team, um, it's pretty straightforward. Like I haven't stepped foot in the place since I finished my renovation there in May. And it's just cool. doing its thing. Brings me a paycheck every month and uh, keeps it pretty straightforward. So um, a lot of people want to start doing this Airbnb property thing. Yes. Right? Can you give me like, we just went through pros. Can you give me a couple cons to it that you've seen? Yeah. So three come to mind. The first one is if you're not planning for mortgage payments to go up if you're on a variable. So interest rates rise. All of a sudden your monthly payment goes up. That eats into your cash flow. Hmm. Uh, The second thing is planning for your shoulder season. So Blue Mountain, as I'm sure you can imagine, not a lot of people going up in November. It's after the summer season where all the bachelor, bachelorette parties, the golfing trips, you know, the the hiking trails are open. And then you've got the ski season. So November, I think I'm going to make 800 bucks or something like that. It's a bad month. And not even make because you have to still pay your mortgage and stuff. Sorry, my gross revenue is $800. So after my management, like... I'm basically paying for the entire property for the month of November. Mm -hmm. However, the upswing on that, when you plan for it for the big months, far covers, you know, the down months. So don't spend all of that juicy, positive cash flow. 
No. Save it. Correct. Yeah. Yes. Um, and then the third thing is, um, you know, just being aware that legislation might change. So here in Toronto, um, Airbnb was was crazy. It like basically took over the hotel industry as a whole, hmm. which is crazy. And of course, municipality got involved. Um, and now in Toronto, you can only Airbnb your primary residence up to six months. So it pretty much completely eliminates that. Uh-huh. Now, I know some people who are finding ways around that, as I'm sure you can do. Um, but that's risk. your own risk that you want to take. Cool. Yeah. So, you know, it, it's not for everybody. But at the end of the day, if you set it up properly and you do your due diligence and you do your research and you're patient, chances are it'll work out. Sweet. Okay. What are some things that you wish you knew before purchasing your Airbnb property? Yeah. So the thing about me is I'm super conservative in my decision-making process. Like when I bought my watch, as an example, I did research on this thing for like 18 months before I bought it. Like I knew I wanted to buy it. I was like, not necessarily at the point financially to do it, but I was like, okay, I'm going to get to this place. And so eventually I did, but I think I tried it on like eight times before buying it. Which watch is this? It's an Omega Speedmaster, which like in the grand scheme of the world of watches, it's like your your entry-level luxury watch. Like it's pretty, it's an amazing watch, but it's it's basic in the sort of world of watches. Okay. Um, And and I'm like that with most things, you know, like it's wild. But uh, I, I use that to do my due diligence very thoroughly. And the more expensive something gets, the more time, energy, and effort I put into it. So honestly, with regards to the condo and the ski chalet, I, I knew everything I was getting into when I got into it. And I thought for me that was important because I didn't want any sort of tough learning lessons. Mm-hmm. You know, I was prepared for the interest rates going up. I was prepared that, hey, in a ski chalet area, maybe short term, I'm actually not going to be able to flip it for a profit from an appreciation standpoint. Um, I knew I wanted to have a management company because I didn't want to put my time into, you know, answering emails at 1230, trying to help somebody find a key. Yeah. So there isn't really three things I wish I knew beforehand because I figured those things out ahead of time. So how can somebody do that for themselves who aren't like as experienced? Yeah. I mean, honestly, it's, about research. So researching, you know, in Blue Mountain specifically, legislation on what's allowed, um, talking to people who have done it. The thing I've noticed as I've gotten sort of more experience in this industry, and especially my first couple of years, people love giving free advice if they're good, genuine people. And so if you have a question about something and you see somebody that you admire killing it in that space, call them. Say, hey, listen, I'm so-and-so. Um, I follow you on social media or send them a DM if it's, you know, more mm-hmm. comfortable. Say, hey, listen, I, I like like what you're doing. Do you mind if I pick your brain on this topic? Nine times out of 10, somebody will give you the answer that you're looking for. Um, and then just, again, be patient. Wait for the right opportunity. Watch what something sells for. Okay, check out that floor plan. Okay, this is great. This lines up with what I want. Then go on Airbnb. See what it's renting out for. Check the calendar. Oh, this is booked 80% for this month, this looks like a good investment. And then move forward, February, same thing. Oh, prices are trending here. Okay, this is the shoulder season. And then all of a sudden, you've just done all your due diligence so that you know when it pops up or you find the right opportunity, pull trigger, it's easy, you've already done it. That's mastery right there. That right there <laughs> is mastery. It. 
That's the that's the accumulation of ten thousand hours. What you just happen in your brain right there that most people wouldn't even think to do. Well, I really appreciate that. It uh, and again, it doesn't to you the tenth hour ten thousand hour piece. Like it doesn't come easy. It's not a short term shoot from the hip kind of decision. We're talking about hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars. Shouldn't be a spontaneous purchase, I lo- I in do, my opinion. I do, good, yeah, definitely. And <laughs> I do want to say that what I loved most about that is the whole thing. Like good people especially successful ones, they'll yeah. give you five minutes, 100%. answer a couple questions, 10 minutes, 15, 20 yeah. minutes, 30 if they like you, yeah. you know? And yeah. it's just about asking. Too many people are afraid of asking these types of things, right? Yeah. That's the thing I love about the real estate industry is, and again, other industries as well, but I find specifically real estate. So for all the new realtors who are listening, I guarantee you if there's somebody you look up to, they will take your phone call. And if they aren't, maybe revisit why you're looking up to them. Hey, True, or just ask another person. Exactly. You ask five people, one of them will let you. Very easily. Okay, let's switch gears here. Absolutely. So one of the most favorite things that I like doing with you is going out to restaurants in the city. Yes. So I wanted to take a moment here to kind of spitball some opinion pieces, that kind of thing, because I've been around the world, and Toronto, I have to say, you know, New York's up there, whatever. But Toronto in such a small area relative, like, because New York, if you want Chinese, you got to go somewhere and it's yeah. 20 minutes away still, yeah. right? Yeah, absolutely. Italian is somewhere over there. Steakhouse is somewhere. It's far. Yeah. What I love about Toronto is that in such a small, relatively small metropolitan city, within a walking distance, you can get the best of blank. Yep. Any kind of food you could think of. Yeah, absolutely. And me and Cody love and going out and trying those different places. We've been to a lot of restaurants together and I look forward to the future of restaurants to go to. You're a a phenomenal restaurant companion. I'll (laughs) give you that. Great. I love that. So, okay. So let's talk a little bit about this. What's, I'm going to spit, these are speedball questions. I'll throw them out. All right. So what's your top three favorite established restaurants in the city? Uh, I would say my number one is Edulis. It's a tasting restaurant on Niagara. It's like they do two seatings a night, 5.30, 8 o'clock, maybe 10 tables. Phenomenal. Oh, never even heard of this yeah. place. What yeah. is it called again? Edulis. E-D-U-L-I-S. Kind of so it's like old world European, Spanish, French, Portuguese. Uh, I'm they, going they, next week. Well, so they just got a Michelin star. Oh. Uh, so, and they do their reservation book one month in advance. Damn it. So it's like you got to find that. Uh, you got to find that. that I'll make it happen. Spot. But you but will I'll find it. Let's go. Okay. I'm down. So Edgeless Mamakas, which we talked about earlier on, um, and then my last one I would say is Momofuku, mm. uh, which is a bit of a heartbreaking moment for me. They're because closing down. They are. But they're probably going to move somewhere else in uh, the city. Or are they closed down? Closed. I don't down? know. I don't know. David Chang uh, has been hit hard through the COVID pandemic uh, side of the space. So I know their lease is up, or apparently their lease is up. So we'll see. That's something I want to take a quick tangent on is that I know a lot of very reputable people yep. that are like my mentors. And okay, it's a small sample size, probably like 10 people. Yeah. But these people are all not renewing their commercial leases in uh, January, February, March, April of next year. Yeah. Really look forward to see what the commercial real estate uh, industry in Toronto, but across North America is going to go down, like what's going to go down there in 2023. Just... Something I'm very interested in. Yeah, no, I'm I'm really curious on what that looks like. And I mean, it, you can see it start to happen right now with with new restaurants opening. You know, you've got you know, abandoned storefronts in you know smaller little areas like Leslieville or Riverdale, 
and these amazing restaurants popping up because rent is relatively affordable yeah. and the space is there. So yeah, I'm, I'm also very optimistic. Hmm. What are your top three up and coming restaurants in the city? You know what? It's tough to say because I feel like most things in Toronto, if they're up and coming, they're already there. Um, I love Milu. It's uh, on Dundas. It's a great restaurant. That's on my list. It's amazing. But What kind of food is it? French. Yeah, I'm a big French food guy. Um, but it's one of those things where it's it may be up and coming, but it's already there. So I actually don't know what like the up and coming spots are because that's what's amazing about this city. Once something good gets gets acknowledged, it blows up. True. Yeah. So I, I, I don't know the answer to that. I think. What about you? Yeah, I'm curious. I recently went to this place called Bar Banan on Ossington. La Banan. La Banan. Yeah. But, yeah, but they have a place upstairs that just opened. Boom. I'm learning something Bar today. Banan. Cool. And I went last week and I like stumbled into it accidentally, a little intoxicated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And That's I walked up and they were just like, hey, it's friends and family night because we're a soft launch right now. No way. So I probably just spilled the beans for them. We'll see when this uh, episode releases. I love that. Went there. Amazing environment. Unreal cocktails. Crazy food. I loved it. Cool. Okay. I'll up check and it coming, out. I like that spot. Beautiful. All right. So I also know that you love traveling. So you must eat great food when you're abroad. If anyone watches Cody's Instagram <laughs> stories, he does. It's pretty much all I do when I travel is restaurant. So What's a restaurant that you've seen in another city that you think Toronto should have? either type of restaurant, vibes, you can even name it. Yeah, so there's two that immediately come to mind. Balthazar in New York. I, it's just like such an institution. <laughs> um, it's such an institution. It gives me like big brother vibes to Le Select here, which just reopened in Toronto. Uh, but it's on a whole nother level there. So I right. love Balthazar. It's like, it's just, it, I think what I love most about it is it's just so New York. It's got that like authenticity right, to yeah, it. Yeah. Looks like they just smoked cigarettes in there before in the nineties. Oh, I'm sure fifteen <laughs> years ago, yeah. darts everywhere. You yeah. walk in and smoke. <laughs> um, and then another place also in New York is a place called Charlie Bird. Um, what I love about it, and I think Toronto's kind of missing, is really good, authentic farm to table food that's not fussy, but elevated, paired with like an amazing wine program. So it's like it's a mm. wine bar first that also sells amazing food. And in Toronto, for whatever reason, it seems like we've got amazing restaurants with good wine, amazing wine bars with okay food, but it's that like marrying of the two that I think is just so perfect about the place. Right, right. It's like upscale without feeling pretentious, and the wines are amazing at all price points, and they serve wine in Zalto glasses, which if you've what ever drank from a Zalto glass- No, what does it look like? They're like 90 bucks a glass. It's insane. Oh, it's like a brand of glasses. A brand of glasses. Huh. Yeah, they're handmade, and uh, the stem is like a toothpick, and you just, you feel rich when you're drinking from it. You're just like, this is, this is a $90 <laughs> this glass is nice. of wine. This is yeah. nice. Like the, the glass of wine is worth less money than the glasses. All right, let's talk a little bit about that. What's your favorite cocktail bar in the city? Uh, so I'm not a huge cocktail guy. I'm like, I'm like the basics, Negroni, Margarita, you know, uh, but gift shop is amazing. It's, uh, if you're on Ossington across the street from Mamaka's, mm. there's a, there's a barber shop next to Bang Bang, uh, or up the street from Bang Bang. Yeah. And, uh, in the back it's called gift shop. It's like what? a speakeasy. Also didn't know that yeah, either. Speakeasy style, uh, cocktail bar. The guy is actually on TikTok. He's got like four or 5 million views on his, on his TikTok account. Um, I would say there is probably one of the top Why? spots. Um, part of the charm is the sort of unknowingness of it, the speakeasy side of it. And, um, it's just super creative what you can get there. Um, so I, I'd probably say gift shop. Sweet. Asian cuisine. 
favorite spot in the city? Oh, I love Asian cuisine. Um, I mean, I said Momofuku earlier. It's more like modernized Asian. Fatientan for, you know, Vietnamese food is phenomenal. Um, is that oh, on Ossington? Also on Ossington. Is that the like the pho place? It's the pho place. Yeah, you yeah, walk I in, love it's pho. Like, yeah, 1980s <laughs> vibes in there. Pink walls, hasn't been renovated in 30, 40 years. Mm-hmm. Um, it's amazing. Um, I mean, the list goes on, honestly. Like, Asian food in general is like of my favorite. Okay. What's your favorite spot for date night? We love starting at Queen and Ossington and just walking to Dundas. So like not necessarily any plan, any specific restaurant, just whatever can accommodate to at the bar. That's like a perfect date night for me or for yeah, us. Yeah. It's it's amazing that way. So hit Mamaka's, then you can hit Foxley if you want for some also amazing Asian food. Um, Kukla, you've got, uh, unfortunately they don't do it, but Bomer, they did Buckashuck on Tuesdays. Um, the list goes on. And it's it's a street that continues to blow up. Uh, which I love to see. My favorite thing for date night is definitely sitting at the bar and just having a conversation with the bartender. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. It's easily the best part. I, I love, I'm a big sit at the bar guy. And and recently, like you could literally do that, like start at Queen, make your way. Yeah. And every time I go for that walk, there's new restaurants. I'm like, that it's, wasn't there before, was it? And it's crazy, that street. Yeah. Like what, because I used to work at Mamaka six or seven years ago. And really there was only like five restaurants on the yeah. street before. Yeah, it just started to blow up as I was leaving and yeah. it's amazing to see what happens. Crazy. Okay. What's your favorite date night spot before we move on? Oh, favorite date night spot? Honestly, it's Mamaka's. Love that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Did they sponsor this rest- yeah. uh, this episode? They ought to. Like Mamaka's, <laughs> give us a free dinner for once. No All right, kidding. let's go. We spent enough money there. Yeah. Okay, what's your favorite spot to go to with the boys? Oh, I feel like you know this answer. I feel like we've been there together. Uh, Barbarians, for sure. Have we? Barbarians, yes. We have been there. Yeah. Yes, that's right. Yeah, it's on, uh, I believe it's on Elm. Yeah. It's, uh, oh, it's an institution. Yeah, Steakhouse. we went there once for your birthday. We did. Yeah, yeah. I've, I, every time I go there, I, I never leave having a bad time. And uh, easily the best steakhouse in Toronto. No questions asked. Because I'm Italian, yeah. favorite spot to go for Italian food. So I would say there's a couple. I mean, Julieta right now is absolutely blowing up. Mm. Also got a Michelin star, I believe. Um, yeah, it did. Yeah. It did. So there, I mean, goes without saying, it's phenomenal. Um, I think one of the sleeper hits that used to be way bigger, I think, than it currently is, which is kind of why I like sort of the low-key current sort of frame of it. Um, Enoteca Sociale, phenomenal. The Bucatini alla Matriciana the best pasta dish in the city. Wow. For all the Italian people out there, you see this guy roll his R's? Let's go. A lot of practice, bud. Okay. Uh, oh, and I'll ask one last thing about Toronto. Toronto private clubs. What's your thoughts on those? Because I know Cleo just opened on King. Yep. There's still Soho House. I don't know about the other ones, if they're popping still since the pandemic. Worth it? Overrated? Underrated? Yeah. Uh, honestly, it's something that I actually have on my list of things to start exploring into 2023. Uh, grow my network, start collaborating with new people. Um, so <clears throat> remains to be seen. That two-year from now question we'll or see. the podcast, I'll, I'll answer it. But I think there is a serious place for it. Um, it just remains to be seen on which ones are, are the best. All right. So uh, for, the, for, this, for this season's episode, I'm asking the same question to everyone okay. at the end of the podcast. Okay? okay. What's one piece of wisdom you wish you knew much sooner? That's a tough question. Good question. Tough question. Um, it's going to sound so simple, um, but it's don't sweat the small stuff. I think 
especially in my industry, but in general, I think, you know, it's so easy to get worked up with what's going on. If something doesn't go your way, if something doesn't go perfect, if a deal falls apart, uh, if you lose a client, if you have a bad dinner at a restaurant, it's easy to get frustrated or kind of lose your way on that and let it affect you. Um, but I find if I knew, like, just don't sweat the small stuff early enough, things would have, I would have been able to bounce back faster or I would have been able to uh, learn quicker from it. And at the end of the day, you know, things are going to happen. We can't control what other people do for the most part. We can guide and sort of help accordingly. But I think if we let what other people do affect us, I think it's going to be a big challenge to move forward positively. So don't sweat it. It's It'll all work out. I think uh, that's what I've learned. I think you know, in six and a half years doing what I do, everything happens to work out in one way, shape, or form. Sure, deal didn't close, maintain the relationship. We all need to sell real estate next year. Or, you know, didn't have a good restaurant experience. Oh, well, let's go somewhere else. It'll be an even better experience. So yeah, just take it easy. Don't, <laughs> don't stress out. Let it, let it be. I fucking love that. Thank you, Cody. It's been an amazing time. Thank you, brother. Pleasure, man. Thank you so much for having me. And uh, anytime you want to chat, let's do it. Well, this has been What They Did Not Teach You in School. Valentina, the icon behind the camera. Until next time, thank you, everyone, for listening.